These are Grindstaff publishing audio files. Room to Rome, Chapter 17, United Kingdom. The lights from the bus shone dully on the back road stretching from Amsterdam on into the French countryside. Sleep came easy that night, a luxury one traveling by cramped bus, and I vaguely remember waking at random spots and watching the nothingness of late night road travel. Around three in the morning, the bus came to a halt next to a brightly lit building and a man in a tidy uniform boarded and began sternly telling us to get off the bus. Sharply aroused from a deep sleep, I grabbed my passport and stuffed my beanie over my long, unwashed hair and assembled into the line of weary travelers shuffling along the spine of the bus. This line continued into the Border Patrol office building and we snaked around the rope barriers waiting as the people in front of us got grilled as to where they were going and why they were going there. The patrol agents were efficient and made their way quickly through the group of people in front of me. When it was my turn, I stepped confidently forward and faced the exceptionally neat, gray mustachioed older man. He asked for my passport and stood staring at it and my face, whatever he saw, he wasn't pleased. The man began asking questions at a rapid pace trying to catch me in a lie. What business do you have in England? How will you get back to the United States? What were you doing in Amsterdam? Trying to keep my cool as best as I could, I answered them as earnestly as possible. It seemed the matter the answer I gave, the more curious of me he became. Do you have the ticket from Iceland to the United States? I answered in the affirmative, but he tasked me with showing him the ticket. It is on my phone and I don't have cell phone reception, I said with a bit of sweat starting under my arms. Use this password. We have all night to wait, he said with a grin. The next five minutes seemed like hours as I stood there with hands shaking, trying to search my email, not being able to find the boarding path which would take me home. By that point, all of my busmates had been passed through and an entirely new set of passengers was filing up behind me. Other Border Patrol agents had picked up on the uneasiness I was supposedly putting off and were exchanging glances in my direction, in what I can only assume means, alright, it's about time to put the gloves on and tell this hippie punk to bend over. Thankfully, I found the boarding pass. The stern patrol agent gave me one last, cold look of disapproval and stamped my passport with a forceful thud. I walked outside in the early morning darkness of that seaside village and boarded my bus, every set of eyes watching me as I walked past into my seat. I was shaking with anxiety. Soon our bus boarded a ferry. We all got off and milled about as we crossed the English Channel from Calais, France to Dover, United Kingdom. Once in the UK, our bus departed the ferry and made its way through the south of England in the early morning glow of day. I found myself staring out the window watching as small towns passed by with signs in English. It hadn't occurred to me until later how nice it was not to have to translate signs and announcements made over the intercoms. Many, if not most, of the places I had been in the past two and a half months were quite accommodating with their English signage, but it hadn't been its first language. I found myself enjoying the language barrier. It was nice not to be catered to just because I was an American or that I spoke English. By 8 in the morning, the bus stopped along the River Thames, and I walked onto the sidewalks of one of my most desired destinations in all the world. We were in jolly old England. With my awkward pack and tired eyes, I set out to find a cafe. The streets were filled with the English accent we all know, and the black cabs sped around like they do in the movies. I found a small cafe and ordered an English breakfast tea with milk, which I had never taken, and sat at a window looking out at a small farmer's market and the colorful characters partaking in the joy underneath the gray clouds. With a slight game plan in mind, I downed the tea and headed off in the direction of Buckingham Palace. Amidst the throngs of vacationers with high white socks and more fanny packs than had been expected, 
I watched the guards in the tall furry hat stand at attention in front of the magnificent home to the royals. Walking away from the palace, I saw Big Ben peeking through the leafless trees and it flittered within my heart. I hurried along through St. James Park along the Princess Diana walkway, past so many mothers and fathers with small children enjoying the park, and made me think of home and the future which is so uncertain. Before long, I was standing in front of Westminster Abbey and her gorgeous Gothic architecture. It was hard not to join the thousands of people in the city and becoming a complete tourist. I walked across the complex and looked up at Big Ben chiming and took in the walls of Parliament. With head swiveling, I crossed Westminster Bridge, found a cheap lunch and ate under the London Eye. Next was crossing London Bridge, looking up and awe at the Shard, taking photos on Tower Bridge and walking along the edges of the Tower of London. Through the business district with well-groomed financial people in their dark clothes and nice shoes, along Oxford Street with flashing lights and street performers and so many people choking the sidewalks. By accident, I found Baker Street and walked around trying to find the Sherlock Holmes Museum, which had been one of my top 10 most anticipated museums on the entire trip. With phone map in hand, I left the bustling inner city and hustled to the quieter South Hampstead district where I was assured my hostel would be. After miles of walking, I eventually found my hostel well into the night, checked in, found some expensive food, and settled into the common room. While in the kitchen, I met an Australian who was standing by the sink eating hamburger raw from the packaging. My eyes must have shown my worry for his GI tract, and he assured me it was often how he consumed his meat. We began laughing and a hippie girl from England came in to make her food and we all talked for a while about travel and sights to see in London and how expensive everything was. Once our food was done, we departed and never saw each other again. Truly one of the beauties of hostile living is the ability to make extremely short-term friends which ignite brilliantly but fade out before the light reaches its full potential. The next morning I woke in the bottom bunk in my cramped room with men and women snoring loudly from all corners. Only having that one full day to explore London, I raced through the hostel and was so thankful to walk out into sunshine and blue skies. First, it was to the Abbey Road crosswalk made famous by the Beatles. Not too far from my hostel, I made it there rather quickly and was dumbfounded when I realized it is just a crosswalk. Like so many sites throughout the world, the hype was in the history of the people and regions, not in the actual thing itself. Without being perturbed, I waited for a break in traffic, of which there were few, and I walked across the same stretch of road as the Fab Four. With no real itinerary for the day, I set myself on getting to higher ground. A quick search on my phone showed Primrose Hill as a nearby spot, so I walked past stereotypical English houses with their brick exteriors and classy atmospheres surrounding the whole lot. Primrose Hill offered a decent view of the distant downtown London sights. I sat amongst the people and watched dogs playing and children running around in the grass. The barking and the laughter made the blue skies and the sunshine of the day so much more relaxing. I walked down through the Regent's Park and back onto Baker Street. The Sherlock Holmes Museum satisfied my childhood love of the famous detective and I took more photos of wax mannequins than I thought I would ever have in my life. From there I walked back through Soho then down to Piccadilly Circus and was caught in the madness of Trafalgar Square with his calms and lions and ticker tape horse skeleton. With violin music playing in my ears I walked back down to the Thames and leaned against rails taking in a view of the London skyline. It was in London where I was immersed in so many postcard moments, images I had grown up seeing where I could be anywhere in the city doing nothing at all and be amazed. All I wanted to do was to walk around the city and look up at the mixture of historical and modern buildings, a perfect conglomeration of the past and present, hear the traditional English accents mixed with every kind of accent the world has to offer. I walked back to my hostel that night, drained from the miles walk, but also drained from a profound sense of finality. It was December 1st, and I was to complete my trip on December 11th. It so happened, amidst these thoughts of home and finality, that that night was a Christmas movie night. Sitting in the common room with a bunch of strangers, we drank the cheapest beer we could find and watched movies set in American cities with American accents, and I think all of us, no matter the nationality, missed the homes we came from.
As most travels day do, the morning started with an intense rush. Confident in my travel ability, I bought the bus ticket to the airport and headed down to where the bus would arrive. The time when the ticket came and went, just as I was about to give up, I watched my bus pull up to the sidewalk a distance away from where I was standing. In a kind of repeat from Copenhagen, I began chasing after the bus, only to have it pull into traffic just as I had gotten close to it. Frantic, I sprinted back to my hostel, bought another bus ticket, and stood in the correct waiting area. This time the plan worked and the bus took me to the airport. I went through security without question and was soon boarding a $16 flight from London to Copenhagen. The two-hour flight was beautiful in the early December sunlight as the ground sped below us. We landed in Denmark just before dusk, went through customs with a simple smile, and took the tram to the central station. It felt so strange walking out into the city hall square of Copenhagen. It had been weeks since I was standing in that exact spot, the same spot I shared with a great friend on the last day of his trip and the first day of my solo trip. With eyes feeling wet, I walked past sites I'd already seen, and a flood of images and stories and people I had met along the trip came rushing into my head. The fun part of the trip was over. Up until then, there was no plan. There was only whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it. I had always known the final day would be December 11th, but it always seemed like a fragment of a dream, never to really come into reality, but only to hang ethereal above all the great experiences and feelings of weightless enjoyment that can only come with living each day to its fullest. After walking for some distance, I arrived at my hostel, not being able to recall any of what I had walked past on the way there. Still in some kind of blur, I was shown my room, changed, and sat in the common room with a cold beer and began looking through pictures. I went back to the photos I had taken when I had first arrived in Europe, then just kept cycling through. The various landscapes swept by, representing the imaginary line I had drawn across a continent. Looking through those photos was impactful. It put into perspective all that I had seen in such a short amount of time. I closed my eyes that night with visions of mountaintops and Italian canals, people's faces and artwork. My mind wandered down the rabbit hole of my experiences in the past weeks, trying to make some kind of sense of the enormity of it all. In the end, sleep came like it always does and put to end to yet another day. Another day which we will never be able to live again. End of chapter.